Hello, I'm Mick Sullivan, and I welcome you to this most excellent episode of The Past and the Curious. This is the last episode of 2022, so I want to wish you a happy new year. 2023 is going to be fun for me. There's more fun episodes ahead, and I know I keep talking about it, but my book, I See Lincoln's Underpants, will be officially published in the middle of January. We hit a few snags and we've been working through them this month, which is why I didn't get an episode of Underwear Chronicles out to you. Sorry about that. But between uh, catching up on the book and the holidays and a few illnesses in our house and, you know, just kids and all that, I just couldn't manage. So I'm sorry. But it will work out really well because this way the final podcast installment will be out when the book is officially released. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode about some unusual and incredible eggs that led to a gold rush conflict known as the Egg Wars, and also the most expensive eggs ever produced, which belonged to Russia's Romanov family. So, let's rock. Kieran McCarthy was sworn to secrecy about whose house he entered in 2014. He was even sworn to secrecy about what state the house was even in. All we know is that it was somewhere in America's Midwest. The man who lived there is anonymous. He wanted privacy, and we still don't know who he is. The only person who knows for sure is McCarthy, who came all the way from London, England, to find a literal treasure in the man's kitchen. Sitting on the counter of this very normal, very typical home somewhere in middle America was a cupcake and an egg. One of these two things was worth a fortune. The other was covered in icing and chocolate sprinkles. That, of course, was the cupcake. And while it was probably delicious, it was just a normal cupcake, definitely not worth a fortune. But the egg... Oh, the egg was something else entirely. It wasn't a chicken egg. Nope. An ostrich egg. No. Or even a mure egg. Uh Uh-uh. It was an Imperial Fabergé egg. And the London-based McCarthy had just cracked the case on the missing egg that he had been trying to find for much of his life. The story of the Fabergé egg begins in Russia with Tsar Alexander III. By the way, Tsar is a title held by Russian emperors before the Russian Revolution, which unfortunately for Alexander takes place at the end of this story. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, sorry, it's not going to end well for your family, Alexander. What do you mean? Don't worry, you'll die before it happens. What? What did you expect, Mr. Tsar? Things were pretty rough for Russia's royal family back in 1885, and with Easter coming, the Tsar wanted to give his wife something she'd enjoy, which might remind her of her youth in Denmark. With joy, she often recalled a beautiful keepsake egg filled with surprises, like a fancy pants Easter egg. So he figured maybe he could have someone make something similar. His brother, the Grand Duke, knew just the guy for the job. Peter Carl Fabergé was a jeweler who ran a shop that made some of the finest and fanciest things in Russia. So the egg order was made, and Peter's team immediately got to work. On Easter, a simple white egg was presented to the queen, 
Oh, why, I can't thank you enough. You shouldn't have. I, I'm sure it's just what I've always wanted, uh, an, an egg. Yes, it's Easter, I suppose. But wait, there's more, Zarina. Open it up. And the Zarina found a seam in the enamel-covered egg, which opened to reveal a yellow yolk. Oh, very nice. It looks like a very nice yolk. You are making me very hungry. Zarina, it's solid gold. Oh, okay. Keep talking. But wait, there's more. And when she removed the golden yolk, she found a tiny, detailed, solid gold chicken. A gold chicken? Now this is fun. Mr. Fabergé has outdone himself. But wait, there's more! And sure as the dawn, she opened the tiny gold feathers of this little golden chicken to find not just a ruby red pendant, but also a tiny diamond and gold recreation of the imperial crown. The gift was exquisite, one of a kind, and immensely valuable. Perfect for the Tsarina who has everything. Tsar Alexander III was as pleased as his wife, and he told Mr. Fabergé two things. First, that he could call himself the official fancy egg supplier to the imperial court, or something like that. And two, that he'd be back next year to get another egg. But it didn't stop there. Over the next few years, Peter Carl Fabergé made increasingly elaborate eggs. In 1886, he made one that is known as the Hen with Sapphire Pendant Imperial Egg. And in 1887, he created a masterpiece, the Third Imperial Egg. This egg was inspired by the over-the-top artistic loves of Louis XVI, you know, Marie Antoinette's husband, the one who lost his head in the French Revolution. Like many of his favorite things, this egg was crafted from 18 karat gold and held in a stand made of gold, diamonds, and sapphire. Inside was a one-of-a-kind ladies' watch from the finest watchmaker in Switzerland. Mr. Fabergé was correct in thinking that if one king or queen liked extravagant gold and diamonds, well, surely another one would too. It was beloved by the Tsar and the Tsarina. And here's an important detail. That golden jewel-encrusted egg is the very same egg that Kieran McCarthy saw with his own eyeballs sitting next to a cupcake in a random American kitchen. How did it get there? Well, we'll get to that. Hold tight. But first, you need to know that over the next decades, Fabergé's workshop created 50 eggs for Russia's royal family. When Alexander died suddenly in 1894, his son Nicholas II became Tsar, and he continued to give eggs each year, both to his mother and his own wife. Every egg was unique, creative, and wildly expensive. Emeralds, sapphire, gold, diamonds, silver, and each egg more magnificent than the next. And the surprises inside varied from tiny working automata, like walking ivory elephants and golden flapping birds, to gold and diamond miniatures of ships or the royal carriage. Each one cost a fortune. Nicholas had a fortune. The rest of Russia, not so much. So the rest of Russia was not thrilled with the way Nicholas was running the show. His family, the Romanovs, had ruled Russia since 1613. 
and unfortunately for him, it all came to an end while he was on the throne. The Romanov dynasty ended in 1917 when the Russian Revolution led to Nicholas abdicating the throne. That means he left, he stepped down from being the czar. But ending the rule of a monarchy was not enough. The revolutionaries executed his family to prevent any further claims on the Russian throne. This is when the 50 Fabergé eggs began to be separated from one another. One disappeared at the hands of a family friend who grabbed it as she escaped Russia. The rest were gathered up and taken to the Kremlin armory by the Bolsheviks who led the revolution. But it's very likely that a few were secretly taken from the palaces as they were looted. By the 1930s, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin needed to raise money for his government, and the eggs were some of the most valuable things that Russia owned. So he sold some eggs. They wound up in private collections and museums around Europe and America. Today, experts know where 43 of the 50 imperial eggs are, but prior to 2014, that number was 42. The egg sitting next to the cupcake in the American kitchen changed everything. But it almost didn't. See, years before the cupcake incident, our anonymous man saw the egg at a junk shop or a flea market. Sources differ on that detail. Now, it wasn't cheap. $14,000 was the price tag. But he knew it was a valuable chunk of gold, so he figured he could flip it quickly as a scrap to someone who might melt it down for its raw value in gold and jewels. So he plunked down $14,000 and planned to sell it for $15,000, thinking he'd get a quick $1,000 on his investment. But he found the golden egg was harder to sell than he originally thought it might be. So he held on to it until he decided to do a bit of research to see if he could learn anything about what it was or where it came from. One day, he showed up in Kieran McCarthy's office in England with a picture of the egg. McCarthy was a leading expert on Fabergé eggs. And after some thinking, McCarthy was curious enough to fly to America to see just what kind of egg this man was sitting on. When he stood in the kitchen, he looked at the cupcake, and he looked at the egg, and then he looked at the man. When he told the man that he was the proud owner of the long-lost third imperial egg, the one Fabergé made in 1887, which had been missing since the early years of the century, the egg-rich man fell to the floor. He soon recovered and decided to put the egg up for sale. No one knows what the man sold it for, or to whom, but most believe it was for at least $30 million. There's no telling what could have happened had he walked away from buying it all those years ago, or sold it to a scrapper in the meantime, or just never done the research that led him to McCarthy's office in the first place. But as it is, one of the most unusual and valuable artifacts from the Romanov dynasty was saved by stroke of luck. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online 
Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Okay, so dig this. This month's You Have 30 Seconds comes from Hien Moynihan. That's not about eggs, because who would have sent me something about eggs? Instead, Hien focused on one of my absolute favorite people from history and did a fantastic job. Take it away, Hien! Hi, Mick. My name's Hien. Do you know about the double agent spy who changed the course of the American Revolution? James Lafayette was born enslaved, but during the American Revolution, enslaved people were asked to join the army. In the army, James was asked to dress up as a runaway slave and to spy on the British. The British never guessed James was a spy, so they asked James to spy on the Americans too. But James was loyal to the Americans, and because of James, the American army knew in advance what the British army was planning to do. Because of James's spy work, the Battle of Yorktown in 1781 was an American victory that paved the way for the birth of a new nation. Love it. Love it so much. And my other favorite detail about James Armistead is that he changed his name to James Armistead Lafayette in honor of his friend, the Marquis de Lafayette. Anyway, Hian, you did a great job. Thank you for sending it. And if anyone else out there has a you have 30 seconds or would like to put one together, it doesn't take much technology, just a smartphone voice recorder memo. And you can email the file to me at hello at thepastandthecurious.com. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Yes, indeed. It's quiz time once again. And your first question is what species of bird laid the largest known eggs? Note that I spoke of this in the past tense because the bird is now extinct. Aptly named, the elephant bird lived on the island of Madagascar until about 1,000 years ago. Surviving egg specimens are 13 inches long and can weigh as much as 22 pounds. The elephant bird was huge, and it is related to other birds like the ostrich, but its closest living relative is the kiwi, which is pretty funny since the kiwi is so small. Question number two. In the early part of 2022, a Yemen man named Muhammad Mukbel broke his own record and set a new world record for the most eggs balanced on top of one another. They were chicken eggs. So how many did he stack? Without toppling over and making an eggy mess, Muhammad balanced four eggs on top of one another. Believe it or not, Four is the world record. It's much harder than it seems, but please don't try to break that record without permission from your grown-ups. Okay, 
Question number three. The study of birds is ornithology. But what is the word for the study of eggs? It's a fun one. The word is oology. O-O-L-O-G-Y. So it kind of looks like oology, but it's pronounced oology. Not sure if that goes for the study of super fancy royal family decorative jewel eggs, but maybe because about the first time anyone saw one of those, they probably said, ooh. And I bet you just said, boo. When James Marshall found a small piece of gold at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California, it was 1848. Then, faster than a fork-tail flycatcher can fly from Fargo to Fairmont, California was filled with flocks of eager people trying to find gold to call their own. It was the gold rush, and these people are commonly known as 49ers because they mostly arrived in California in 1849. Some 49ers were lucky, and many were not. But whether they filled their pockets with gold or nothing at all, every single one of those people had to eat. San Francisco, a town where many started their California journey to find gold, exploded with people. And unfortunately, there was not enough food to fill up the hungry bellies of would-be gold miners and everyone else. A few years before, in 1846, while still technically land belonging to Mexico, there were around 200 foreign residents in the small town. There were also Native American communities near the area, as well as Mexican citizens spread around much of the territory. A month after the gold was found, a treaty was finalized and America purchased the land from the Mexican government. By the end of 1849, there were thousands upon thousands of people. The city practically blew up like a balloon and the few farms in the area produced nowhere near enough food to keep up with demand. So whatever food was available skyrocketed in price. As legend has it, one local pharmacist looked offshore for a solution to the lack of food. Hard work requires protein, and a great source of protein are eggs. So, short on chickens, he pointed a boat through the rough waters toward an uninhabitable collection of islands 28 miles offshore of San Francisco, where he knew he'd find some eggs. The Farallon Islands, as they are known, are home to lots of birds. And that's about it. Mostly because nothing else would want to live out there. Just a whole lot of birds. Lots and lots of birds. Which means lots and lots and lots of eggs. It wasn't easy. After surviving the brutal nature of the trek, he and his brave travel partner returned with enough muir eggs to make $3,000. And that was some serious money. But the expedition through the rough seas and the unfriendly guano-soaked stones was all so dangerous that they swore never to do it again. There were plenty of other people foolish enough to give the Farallons a try. The draw to feed San Francisco and make boatloads of money while doing it was too strong. With all the hungry mouths eager for protein, the Muir eggs were practically as valuable as gold. So boat after boat set out for the islands 
and the thousands of mirror eggs just sitting on the craggy stones of the islands during nesting season. If you don't know, a mirror is a black and white seabird that likes to spend most of its life at sea. They are better swimmers than they are flyers, though they do both. And when nesting season comes, mirrors lay eggs directly on the ground. There's no need for an actual nest in their world, and they are usually surrounded by huge colonies of other mirrors. It's practically an egg party. Those eggs that they'd leave sitting on stone are about twice the size of a chicken's egg which helped in making them so desirable to California egg lovers looking for a more filling meal. The eggs also have some unusual physical characteristics in addition to their size. They're a little more cone-shaped than a chicken egg, and they come to a sharper point at the tip. The shells are also thicker and more durable, which made them convenient for transporting over the rough seas. They also have unusual markings and vary in color. Some are white with a black marbling, or gray with brown patterns like splatter paint. There's even some that have a beautiful turquoise and green hue with brown stripes, almost looks like mint chocolate chip ice cream. It is said that no two of these eggs are alike, but it is also said that an egger spending days collecting these eggs for hours each day would begin to see his name written in the swirly patterns of the big, slightly pointy more durable eggs. During nesting season, the egg collectors would brave the rough oceans to make their way up and around the steep, craggy cliffs, which were wildly treacherous on their own, but when covered with the slickened bird poop of thousands of birds, they were the grossest, most dangerous slip and slide you could ever imagine. One misstep and it would be a fast, rough ride to the sea where jaggy, pointy stones were waiting. At least the turbulent water would wash off the bird poop when they met their end. The eggers who didn't wind up waterlogged and wishing for a proper bath, or worse, they filled their pockets with all of the mirror eggs that they could handle. Most often, men wore a special apron with kangaroo-like pockets that allowed them to quickly and safely gather and hold dozens of durable eggs at a time. Of course, they'd have to dodge the swooping gulls, who also liked to eat the eggs, and not to mention the mirrors, who wanted to fend off both the eggers and the gulls. When it was time to unload the eggs on the boat, the men would drop to their knees and balance, hands-free, with their forehead on the ground. This oddly humorous pose left their hands available to quickly empty the pockets and head back out for more valuable eggs. Once the eggs were shipped back to San Francisco, they were sold for a lot of money. While they often tasted like a chicken egg, so long as they were fresh, that is, they didn't exactly look like one on the inside, nor did they cook the same way. The yolks are dark orange, sometimes even red, which is no big deal and easy to get over, but the whites were anything but white. Even when cooked, they remained perfectly clear, much like an uncooked chicken egg. Many people certainly ate their fair share of see-through omelets and gooey glass scrambled eggs, but many others elected to eat their eggs baked into something else. You can imagine why clear goo breakfast wasn't the most appetizing way to start the day. Now, as you can imagine, the boatloads of eggers sailing to the Farallon Islands hoping for eggs instead of gold 
started to get in each other's way. There were arguments about who had the rights and who controlled what and who the eggs actually belonged to. As you might guess, the mirrors who laid them didn't get a say in the matter. Men with short fuses did instead. There were confrontations, arguments, and ultimately gunfights, both on seaward boats and bird poop covered stones. Sir, I beg, put down the egg. This whole scene is a powder keg. I don't want to, but I'll be forced to break your leg, and you'll soon be walking with a peg. Greg, I know you, and I know your wife, Meg, but I wouldn't trade an egg for all the California nutmeg or even the patent rights for the JPEG, whatever that is. Very well, you third-rate quee-quag and a fill-a-bag. What a strong reference to Herman Melville's novel, Moby Dick, I, I commend you. Nevertheless, this is an egg war. Egg war! And so it went. People died fighting over eggs and the profits that they would bring back on the mainland. Ships were hijacked, cannons were fired, eggs were stolen. It went on for years. Other than the birds, there was one other thing on the island. A lighthouse that helped ships navigate their way into San Francisco Harbor. It was crucial to the safety and commerce of thousands of people. The lighthouse keeper usually snagged a few muir eggs, just in case his food supply ran out. In 1860, a mob of eggers who were unwilling to share finally kicked the lighthouse keeper off the island just to get the few eggs that he might have pilfered. So finally, the American government got involved. They had no choice. The lighthouse was essential to America's well-being. But not getting the whole kerfuffle about the eggs, they just sent an early version of the Coast Guard to make regular rounds. Occasionally, they'd chase people off the island and take their weapons, but the egging went on. It went on until the 1880s with drama and resistance and egg fights aplenty. But there was a bigger reason than violence that brought an end to the egg wars. By this time, of course, farms had popped up all over California. And on those farms, they had plenty of chickens. E-I-E-I-O. These chickens laid non-see-through eggs to feed the ever-growing number of hungry and most appreciative Californians. So the price of muir eggs dropped, and it became less and less lucrative to risk one's life on the pointy, poopy rocks over the deadly waters. So ended a decades-long brutal war over eggs that no one really enjoyed eating. Today, the Farallon Islands off the coast of California are still home to thousands of muirs, but the population still hasn't recovered from the constant loss of eggs that they suffered two centuries ago. Well, all right. Thank you all for listening to episode 74. It was a fun episode to put together all about eggs. Uh, who knew there would be so many interesting and unusual stories? Well, me, that's why I wrote an episode about it. But anyway, maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. Maybe you knew these stories. Maybe you have a Fabergé egg sitting next to a cupcake in your kitchen. I don't know. You might want to go check on that. Now is the time, though, where I'm going to thank Patreon sponsors because you guys keep it moving. Thank you so much. Colleen Roberts, I got your gift uh, just today, I think. I, that, that was this morning, as I remember. So thank you so much. That was really, really swell of you. I appreciate it very much. And Isabel, who just turned nine on the 27th of December, I need to wish you a very 
happy birthday. Happy birthday, Isabel. I'm so glad that you're out there listening, and I hope you had a good one. And next, I need to thank and give a shout out to Adeline and Amelia in Corning, New York, which was featured on an episode of The Past and the Curious, all about the telescopes, if you all recall. Hello to you, Adeline and Amelia. I'm so glad that you enjoy the show, and I appreciate you lending your ears and learning about history with me. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm so glad that you're along for the ride. And the same can be said for Sam and Owen of Media, Pennsylvania. Sam and Owen, hello to you. Shout outs. And uh, I hope you have a great new year and continue listening. I'm so glad that you're out there. That goes for everybody. Now, if you want to help the past and the curious, one of the best things you can do is just tell somebody about the show. It's really helpful. It's really important. You can leave a review wherever you listen, uh, or you can just tell somebody with your mouth because that's what mouths are for, don't you know? Um, If you do leave a review, I just want to point out that this show is free and I don't have a team of people with me. I just do this in my spare time, which I have almost none of anymore because I have two small kids. So it is a struggle for me to put this show together. Uh, I know that there are people who want more shows, I know, but I don't have a team of people. I'm just a guy who likes doing this for you. Thank you all very much. And I hope you have a great new year. January is bird month. So, you know, maybe listen to this episode, the egg episode. And we have two other episodes about birds. So that could be fun. Fun way to spend National Bird Month. Happy New Year, everybody!